0: We're carrying on on the story of us, and we're looking at relationships of all kinds. And this week, we're particularly focusing on singleness in an age of isolation. And we know, we know from the stats, we know from the shift in the last 10 years, and even in the pandemic, that there has been huge loneliness and isolation. There was even an isolation and loneliness minister appointed because of that. But we have a chance as, church, as Riverside Church, whether you're here in the room or whether you're doing church at home, we have an opportunity and a chance to really move against that age of isolation towards an age of inclusion, towards an age of celebration and loving people. And I love the fact that Tim last week uh, sat down when he preached on marriage. I thought he'd hurt his back. That's how deep I am. But it turns out that actually it was for a different reason. It was to say that he is a fellow traveller exploring this business of marriage, not an expert. And I found that hugely impacting. And also, I come to you today certainly not as an expert on singleness, but on one who has done a lot of reading, a lot of wrestling, a lot of exploration about the good things about it and the tough things. So I'm copying him slightly there, but I am definitely not an expert. But we do have the church. And most of us, in life. And I love the fact that you're here. Many people here are married. Many people here are single and the same online. And that is really important because this passage that Paul writes to the Corinthians, everyone gets to read it. It's not a separate letter. It doesn't come singles and then marrieds and then widows. He puts it all in together and he says, listen up, widows, listen up, married people, single people. I have some counsel <coughs> for all of us. And I think that's something to Celebrate because often in churches marriage gets a higher status than the state of singleness. Uh, In the review of the single friendly church that was done in 2012, (coughs) excuse me, 42% of single people said they had had a bad experience of church. That's nearly half. So that's quite stark, isn't it? But I would like to say, and you might expect me to say this because I'm part of the leadership here, I feel that we are a single, friendly church. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't know that people have left because they have found it too tricky. But I think that we really do have an inclusive family that we are asking God to help us with. We had just a couple of weeks ago uh, a brilliant lunch here in this room for people who were parenting alone, as well as people from Stay and Play. And the joy of seeing people saying, oh, you're like me, you're having the same struggles, the same challenges was brilliant. So I think we're on the right track, but there is always more for all of us to learn. And if you interview every single person here, they will have had good and bad experiences. And I love the freedom of what Paul says. I found this passage tricky. I find it a really difficult passage. I have rung to him quite a few times, going, what on earth is he talking about? I have really, really struggled at times. And I would say I am still wrestling with the passage a little bit. And in the heart of that, I wrote a poem, uh, really kind of giving two sides of the story of singleness and uh, two sides of my story. I love being single, The remote is in my hand. The bed is where I spread out in an unfettered, silent land. I love being single. I can go out when I wish. I can eat a healthy salad or down a takeaway dish. I hate being single at night when I shut the door. The pain of not sharing my day is still unbearably raw. I hate being single when I go to the party alone. Where's your other half, they cry in warm and friendly tones. I love being single, there are less lows than before. I surround myself with brilliant friends or I choose to shut my door. I love being single, there is freedom in this life. I love the independence of not being somebody's wife. I hate being single, with no joy of physical touch, the beauty of a film shared or a cuddle on the couch. I hate being single and the sadness of my friends, when another relationship hits the rocks or I bring it to an end. There are two sides to every story, and this is only mine, and I pray it's for a season and that I'll understand in time. But I'll still thank him for this life now, and I'll boldly stand alone. Until that day, we raise the flag, or we say, she made it home. Um, And I wrote that because there are days when it is really, really hard uh, to be on your own, and there are days when it is really, really brilliant. (laughs) So yesterday, with a friend, I booked a holiday to the south of France. She didn't have to check in with anyone. I didn't have to check in with anyone. We just went for it. And I thought, oh, I love my life. But hours later, there could be a sense of me not loving my life, very much like marriage, so I think, actually, when we look at marriage, there are many married people here, if they're really honest, and I'm a pastor, so I know, who would say, I hate my marriage, I want out, I'm not enjoying it at all, I want the freedom that you have. And, and the answer to that is, you know, it's the same. It is the same. We have those different constraints. But Paul says, live in freedom. And although Paul can be a bit annoying on this subject, and some people find him a bit arrogant, <laughs> don't quote me or sack me, um, he does actually represent The freedom of it, look at his life. You know, it's not all great, (laughs) but he does go where the Lord takes him, and he does have this life of abundance, and that's where he's speaking to the Corinthian church from. He's actually saying, you know, I believe that as a single man I have a very good life. Now, we might think, oh, yeah, I've got loads of friends who would say that, but in the context of the Jewish tradition, this is massive for him. And people were writing, as Tim said last week, they were writing to him and saying, you know, now we've discovered Jesus. Does everything change? Is marriage irrelevant? Is it more superior, less superior? And he's saying both are good so let's look into the passage a little bit. And uh, before we do that, you'll have noticed in our series that every week we are putting a proverb at the beginning of our talks to really help us in our understanding. Um, and this proverb, for me, is incredibly helpful. It's probably almost, I've found it as helpful as Paul's passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And there's so much in that for married people and single people alike. Trust is a huge part of our walk following Jesus, trusting for what we can see and for what we can't see. Trusting, not just sort of tickling it, but trusting with all of our heart. Leaning not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, submitting to him. To lean into the Lord and lean on the Lord as a single person is absolutely vital. There are times when you frankly don't have anywhere else to go, but to lean on him and to lean into him and what he is able to do for us. And actually, for single people, for some of us, it came totally unexpectedly, probably for most of us. We didn't expect to be in this season. And that is true for Ruth in the Bible. I love the character of Ruth in the Old Testament, who finds herself suddenly single and and does a brilliant thing in that she actually says, well, I extend my family. I'll pour out to the people who are not perhaps all my blood relatives, but I'll go out and I'll love them and I'll trust in the Lord and I'll do good. And it's when she's doing that that actually she catches the eye of Boaz. But she trusts the Lord in season. And every one of us, I don't want to be a bit dark about it, but every one of us could be single at any moment. That's the honest truth. So the smug marriages that go through the Bridget Jones's diary and all of that, we can't really do that because actually we're in a season and we need to trust in it and there is mystery to part of our journey. There's mystery if we're single, and there's mystery if we're married. Why is it that that relationship didn't work out in the end? Why was it that we felt that God had spoken, that we felt that God had given us that relationship, and yet for some reason it was taken away? There is mystery, and I love the fact that the proverb doesn't shy away from that, but it says, Lean not on your own understanding, you cannot see the whole picture. And finally, we're going to land the talk here, it looks at surrender. The proverb looks at surrender. By the way, I don't mean I finished the talk, <laughs> in case you were pleased. Um, I just mean that's where I'm going to come in to land. Um, he knows us best. And so he says, come on, submit this stuff, submit the mystery to me. And there are many things that it's probably not that helpful for you to say to a single person. If you'll allow me to be a little bit indulgent for a minute, uh, this is not my work, it's Lauren Windle in her brilliant and very funny book, Notes on Love in Church. Um, She says, there are a few phrases that many of us will have heard. One, and she puts a little cheeky reply in there. Are you getting yourself out there? And she replies, if I can get the coordinates for out there, I'll head over there right now. (laughs) Secondly, maybe just use this time to work a bit on yourself. And she says, I can't wait till I'm married and I don't have to do any more personal development of any kind. (laughs) We are all sharing with our other halves for the weekend away. Who are you sharing with? Oh, me, I'll be paying the single occupancy rate And finally, Jesus is your lover. Thanks, well-meaning person. I don't know very well in church. Whilst Jesus is amazing, there are still some specifically human desires that I am longing to satisfy. And one extra that I've put in, this is me, Judy, is I'm surprised you haven't been snapped up yet. Now, people mean that as a compliment, but it implies a row of us, (laughs) you know, in a quite patriarchal world, sort of waiting. And that is not my experience of a lot of single people. Some of us have made bold choices. We've walked away from good relationships because they weren't God's best. We've walked away from violent relationships because they weren't God's best. We have lived bold lives. And there are many people here, and I would applaud many people here and, and watching as well, who have made tough decisions decisions to get to where they are, to not settle. And I think that's really important and actually quite inspiring. So we trust in the Lord, but how do we debunk some of the myths that actually we've believed. And I don't mean the myths necessarily that other people have always said to us, but I have found the theology of singleness quite tricky at times. And every time I think, oh, I've arrived, I know what I'm supposed to be doing, I sort of have a question about it. So I found Paige Brown really helpful in what she says here. Uh, Just a few things, and I think there's truth in each of them, if you see them on the slide. I do think there's truth, but I think they've become a bit twisted. So the first one is, um, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he will bring someone special into your life. Now, I've believed that, and actually it took me a while to process, well, hang on a minute, how does that work if you're married? As if God's blessings are only earned by our contentment. They're not. Another one is you're too picky, and that can be said a lot. And that feeds into this thing of settling. Why don't you just settle Well, the answer is in every unhappy marriage that we know about and every marriage that didn't work out, whatever age we are. And of course, there's a temptation to do that. But actually, that way leads to a lot of pain and a lot of destruction. As a single, you can commit yourself wholeheartedly to the Lord's work. Now, again... There's truth in that. There really is, because there are things that we are free to do if we're non-parents. If we are living a life that is single, you might think, well, you're footloose and fancy-free. You can serve on every team. But that is not true because we serve in order to grow and in order to become the family that loves and serves one another. And so actually, as Paul says in this letter, both can do it. We can be wholehearted in our devotion to Jesus, whether we are single or married. But it will look different. It may well look very different. Um, And this last one is really tough. Before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. And again, there's a bit of truth in that. Sometimes we have brilliant single seasons in order to discover things about ourselves that didn't work in the last relationship, but the implication there is really about you've know you got to do a bit more self-work in order to make yourself wonderful. Broken people marry broken people. We are all broken people, and we can sharpen one another, and we can love one another, and we can help each other to mend. And all of these statements like this are based on single as a deprivation for people who are somehow not fully formed enough yet for marriage or have failed to accomplish it or relearn their lives following it. And we have to be really careful about that in our preaching, in our leading, in our counselling of others, that the single life is a good life, that there are many good things as well as many painful ones. In Romans 12, Paul talks about the whole body of believers, and he talks about our need for one another. He talks about the interlinked nature of the body of Jesus, and that includes married and singles together, that we are all part of that story. And actually, maybe an interesting challenge to those of you who are married is, how good are you at conversation with single people? Now, Probably here, most people are pretty good. You probably don't even think about it to some degree. But when I go on conferences, I find this can be a conversational cul-de-sac because people see me as a female in leadership, already I'm isolated, so I'm already slightly on the edge. Uh, Then they say, have you got family, Judy? And I say, well, yes, but they live in London. (laughs) They think, well, that's a weird arrangement. And you say, well, no, that's my extended family. I don't have family of my own, and so on. And you can either work with that and go deeper, or you can cough awkwardly and sort of walk away. And my experience, if I'm honest, is both. And it can be quite isolating for you then, thinking, well, I'm, I'm single, I'm childless, and I'm female, and I'm a leader. And you keep moving out of the circles a little bit. And I find myself, and the, the others who go, will say I get quite shy in those situations. And Sam Aubrey, who writes brilliantly on this, says, marriage is an interesting intersection with all sorts of avenues for our discussion, but singleness is more of a conversational cul-de-sac, requiring an awkward maneuver to exit. Um, So I I would like to say I don't really think we have that particularly, but that may well be some people's experiences. And what I would say is find out someone's story. Don't make an assumption. Because actually, just as we probably make assumptions about married people, there will be a story. And actually, to hear someone's story, you don't have to find out straight away and grill them. Uh, But over time, gently find out someone's story. Paul says in verse 17, nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. And this is, if you like, an overarching verse for the passage, but a tricky one. We may not feel called to be single. Now, that's a phrase that you often hear, isn't it? Or you called to be single. And you think, well, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to answer that. Do I know that he equips me in this season? Absolutely, yes. With so many good things. So, if you're saying calling and equipping are equal, then absolutely emphatically yes. He gives us the grace, the fruits of His Spirit. The fruits of His Spirit. I do not have self control as my natural personality, but I'm living a celibate life. That is tough for me, really tough. But I do have the fruits of the Holy Spirit to keep me from trouble, to keep me from danger. I have that armour that we talked about a couple of weeks ago to wear when it's difficult so are we called well yes and no but Paul says whatever season you're in that God is with you and the Lord is Lord and you are following him and that actually our season could change but we do everything to stay faithful He says, because of the present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as I am. And this is one where people start to get out their backs up a little bit. You know, he sounds a bit sort of self-satisfied. But actually, there was turbulence in Corinth. There was not just the conversations that Tim talked about last week, but also there was turbulence internally going on. And so he said, now might not be a good time to make a big change. He also believed the Second Coming was right around the corner. So he said, well, you know, just stay as you are. And actually, although we can perhaps contextualize that comment, we can say singleness is a gift in season eventually it can be seen that way when we frame it. And I found certainly in lockdown that God really helped me with that. I reframed what I have in an amazing way, and that was with God's help, really was with his help, to say, actually, this is a season where I'm going to celebrate. But we don't all come at it from the same angle. There will be people watching today who are finding single incredibly hard and painful, and there'll be others who say, I love my life. He says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you will have your own gift from God. Has one got this gift and another that? And this is radical teaching on the positivity of singleness. Jesus was single. Paul was single. And our faith, our Christian faith, is wonderful in the fact that Jesus, the center of it all, was a single man. Fully human. And he changed the course of the whole of history. He's changed our lives forever, those of us who believe in him. And he was single. So if anyone doesn't get it, if the church is still getting it wrong, he gets it profoundly. I love this quotation about him from Sam Albury. He is the most complete and fully human person who ever lived. So his not being married is not incidental. It shows us that none of these things, not marriage, not romantic fulfillment, sexual experience is intrinsic to being a fully human being. The moment we say otherwise, we imply that Jesus himself was only subhuman. Now, we could do a whole chat just around that, couldn't we? Because there's masses in there, and I know some of you will be pushing back even as we speak or putting on the chat, and I get it, it's a tough one, but I believe it. I believe it. I believe that Jesus was the most fulfilled, whole human, as well as being fully God. And so he gets it. The Christian perspective on singleness is almost unique because the kingdom of God provides the most lasting legacy and heirs. Now, in a few weeks' time, I think Sarah is going to talk more on legacy. But I think this is brilliant for us in church. I do not have my own immediate family, but I have family here. I have children, young people, brothers and sisters, Older ones, everybody who cheer on my race. And I'm leaving a legacy. It may not be a physical legacy in terms of my own children, but it is a supernatural legacy that I'm passionate about. Whether it's leading my young people's small group, which I love to do, whether it is just counselling a young person about self-harm or about uh, their, their particular troubles or wrestles at the time, we are all building the kingdom and it provides us lasting legacy and heirs. Unlike our sex and romance-saturated society, Christians can see singleness as good because our union with Christ fulfills our deepest longings. Now, that's another one that I'm sure we will wrestle with, but he actually does. And that's the deepest longings. I'm not talking about the sexual ones, but the deepest longings, the longings of our heart, the longings to be loved, to be known. You know, the biblical word for sex was known. interestingly isn't it and actually there is a desire in all of us to be known (laughs) whether that's in the actual physical sense or actually to know that we belong are you pledged to a woman you did not seek to be released are you free from such a commitment do not look for a wife the grass Paul is saying is always greener do not be obsessed over what you don't have We do have in Jesus so much. Can I just say a cheeky thing as well on this? And some of you know this. Um, It's very lovely to say Jesus is my husband. And some of you really believe that. But he doesn't put the bins out, he doesn't give you a snog, <laughs> he doesn't give you a cuddle, um, so whilst yes and no, does that make sense? So I think let's be real about it, he is wonderful and he's everything in my life and he really is, but he's not that um, and I think Paul gets that and um in, in this really good quote that comes up, I hope it's there, the temptation one, um, we read this about the highs and lows of marriage and the highs and lows of singleness. I think this is very key, and it mirrors Paul's teaching. The temptation for many of us who are single is to compare the downs of singleness with the ups of marriage. And the temptation for some married people is to compare the downs of marriage with the ups of singleness, which is equally dangerous. The grass will often seem green are on the other side whatever gift we have marriage or singleness the other can easily seem more attractive but Paul's point is to show single people there are some downs unique to marriage some worldly troubles as he puts it that we are spared by virtue of our singleness and I think that's true I really do, and some married people are nodding there. <laughs> you know, it, it, it is true. You know, we don't have to, you know, ferry children around. We don't have to always be thinking about all the factors that make up your household. At the moment, there is just me in my household, and that can be incredibly liberating. It can also be quite selfish, and that is why we need each other. We need community. We need friendship to sharpen one another, particularly in the age of isolation that we're looking at. We need one another to sharpen us. We need community even weekends away or going on community group weekends away or having people around so that we keep on sharpening one another. But Paul is very clear that worldly troubles are somehow spared. and I, I read this that Tim Keller wrote on the meaning of marriage, which I thought was really challenging around this. He says, "The same idolatry idolatry that is distorting single lives will eventually distort their view of married lives when and if they marry." In other words, if you think that the grand panacea of your life will be to get married, think again because it comes with a whole load of trouble as well as lovely things. And if we deify it and if we romanticise it to the extent that it's brilliant, it will always elude us, because it will never come along perfectly. And I love the fact that Keller says the same distortion that we might have when we're single can happen. We take that into marriage because we think it's going to be perfect in Hollywood, and it's not. So friendship, I loved Sarah's talk a few weeks ago on friendship, something that as a single person is vital to us, that sense of being fully known. Yes, that comes through intimacy in marriage in the the form of sex and intimacy that way, but actually we may not have the depth of intimacy that you have with one person, but we have a breadth of intimacy with many friends that goes deep nevertheless. Uh, I said once in one of my dramatic moments, I hate being alone. Why has God made me like this? He knows how much I need people. And my lovely friend said, you're the least alone person I know, Judy. Um, And I've never forgotten that. I don't know whether I've always agreed with it, but I've never forgotten it because I think I have amazing friends. And if you're one of them here today, I can only say thank you. Uh, C.S. Lewis was single for a lot of his life, and he was a very, very wise guy. He said this, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend brings out by myself. I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of the facets of true friendship. In the least, Friendship is the least jealous of all the loves. And I love that landing. Friendship is the least jealous of all the loves. So as we sort of come to examine where we're at with this, and we'll all be on a whole kind of spectrum, I found um, actually just this week on the well-being course, um, that we were looking at relational well-being, and we were being urged to say, "Where are you, your unguarded self?" Because we mask on a Sunday morning and we might mask in our social conversations and we might give a presented self. But if you are single, you need those friendships or your life group or your community group every bit as much as a married person. And you need those unguarded times where you say, I'm struggling, will you please pray? And many times I get things, pray for this person or pray for their marriage. But how many times do we pray for a single person? How many times do we send out a prayer request probably not often because we don't share it because there's that guarding and we need those triplets, those groups those life groups where we can be unguarded Paige Brown uh, has a brilliant quote here um, which uh, really I think sort of helps me to bring this into land she says this let's face it, singleness is not an inherently inferior state of affairs but I want to be married I pray to that end every day I may meet someone and walk down the aisle in the next couple of years because God is so good to me. I may never have another date because God is so good to me. And if ever... That was about surrender, it's that. If we look at the proverb we began with, it's saying, whether you do or whether you don't, bless me. You are good. You are with me, and I am going to enjoy this season of singleness. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to see the good. There'll be days when I can't, but other people will help me to do that. It is not something inferior, she says. It is a bold and courageous work. And finally, Jesus reconfigures family. He reconfigures it along a spiritual rather than a biological line. And he does it brilliantly. You know, he says, who are my brothers and sisters? Here are my mother, here is my brother. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother, sister or mother. In other words, he says it's not just about the bloodline. It's about us as church family, being friendly, being welcoming, being warm and inclusive, praying for one another and identifying with one another and fueling the hope in each other. Because many people will be watching this and here in the room are still hoping for that union with somebody and have not settled, but are waiting. How do we keep fueling their hope? Not in a silly way, but actually in a constructive, loving way. Because there is hope. Just as we can all become suddenly single, we can all suddenly meet somebody. Graham Wilkes beautifully sings from Take That quite often. And his little thing is, it only takes a minute, girl. He sung that to me a couple of times when when life has been tough, but it does. Things can change in a moment, so enjoy the season we're in, knowing that actually suddenly everything can change. When Jesus teaches us to pray, says Sam Albury, he doesn't seek to bend God to our ways, but to bend ourselves to his. We pray for his name, his kingdom, and his will. Not only are we to pray for these, but as we do, we find ourselves increasingly longing for them. I know that the elevation of my name, the implementation of my agenda and the growth of my power, these won't bless me or anyone else. The world will not be a better place if it is being conformed to my vision for it. On my better days, I am sufficiently aware of that to pray the way Jesus instructs us to. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The end of the proverb and the end of the Lord's Prayer are surrender. They are saying, not my will, but yours. My time is in your hands. As the psalmist says, as David says in Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy will follow you. They're like a spiritual motorcade that will always accompany you. The more we grasp this the less either marriage or singleness will ultimately matter to us. Let's aim for more of Jesus, more of his Holy Spirit, assured that whatever happens, we will never outrun his goodness and his love.